Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio All right, well, we're back with the uh, Waco History Podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest today that's joining me, uh, Major John Householder. And I met Mr. Householder uh, in last fall. Uh, he is a, a Vietnam veteran here in our community, but he was also very involved in the creation of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial here in Waco uh, that sits at the corner of University Parks and Washington Avenue, right as you come off the bridge there as you're coming out in downtown. If you look to your right, not only is it a memorial to the Vietnam War, it's a memorial to our all armed services, uh, all our uh, veterans who have served here in Waco and all branches of the military. And so I, I thought I'd have Major Householder in with me today. Thank you for joining me uh, today. Uh, we met in the fall, as I said, and then I had you uh, take my Vietnam War class down through the memorial, and I thought uh, the community doesn't know enough about that particular uh, site and the history of that particular site, and I thought I'd have you on to talk a little bit about that. But I'd like to go back and talk a little bit about uh, your service uh, in the military and kind of the Vietnam War era. I always like to assume the person listening is a student, and if they're a student, they were born years after yep. the Vietnam War. And oftentimes the information they get is from other sources uh, like movies and TV and things like that. And so I'm wondering if you could help describe uh, for a listener like that just the era uh, in which we talk about in the 1960s and uh, how Vietnam kind of encountered your story. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in uh, upstate New York, uh, starting with the seventh grade on. Uh, we lived in a small village 12 miles north of Utica, which is right on the Bohawk River, right to the central part of the state. And when it came time to pick a college, I, I wanted to go up to a small school and uh, St. Lawrence came to mind, and I applied and was accepted. I was also applied to two others, was accepted, but I wanted a really small school. So that's where I went, and uh, one of the courses available was ROTC. Uh, so I uh, enrolled in ROTC, and the first two years were the basic course, and if a person enrolls for the second two years, they are committed upon graduation at some point to go into active duty as a commissioned officer. So uh, I did go into the... Uh, to the, to the advanced course and uh, was fortunate enough to have graduated as what they call distinguished military graduate, which meant that if I wanted to serve my first assignment stateside, I could pick any unit, um, which, was, which was good. Uh, between our junior and senior years, we had a, a six-week ROTC summer camp at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. 
And so we were exposed to the 82nd Airborne Division there. Matter of fact, one of the things we did was to go to their jump school at that time, both the 82nd and the 101st have jump schools right there on, on their post, uh, in addition to the main jump school at Fort Benning. So we went to that jump school and saw some demonstrations, and we even got to jump out of the 34-foot tower, which is basically trains a person on how to exit an aircraft. And they also took us out to a drop zone, and we observed a, a drop of uh, a good number of troops. So that got me interested in, uh, in airborne. And then one of our instructors uh, at that time, Major Robert Bentley, was uh, a veteran of the 17th Airborne Division in World War II. And uh, so that furthered my interest. So when it came time to pick a unit, I decided I'd like to go to the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I, I got there um, in uh, uh, July. I graduated June, June the 3rd or 4th, I think it was, and took a month. I had up to a month before I had to report, so I decided to take that month and get in good physical condition. So I did, and uh, then reported to, uh, to Fort Campbell. And uh, they, they, at that time, they had battle groups, not brigades mm -hmm. uh, or battalions, but they had battle groups, which were made of five infantry companies. And uh, I was in the 502nd, and they had what they called a pre-back platoon, pre-airborne, pre-basic airborne. And we, so myself and some other lieutenants worked out with them. And we went to jump school in, uh, in July of, of uh, 1961. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Two weeks of ground training, and week number three was, was the jump rig, five parachute jumps, and we earned our wings. Then uh, myself and two other lieutenants in that battle group went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, for the infantry officer ba basic course, the orientation course, which lasted eight weeks. And we had an option to go to the ranger school. I wasn't particularly enthused about that, but they said, come on, let's go to ranger school. I said, okay. <laughs> so that was a nine-week uh, nine course uh, in Fort Benning, uh, the mountain phase is outside Thelonica, Georgia, and the swamp phase is Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got through that, and I was fortunate enough to have been uh, allowed to uh, won a, a Ranger tab, which means I was a qualified Ranger. So went back to the 80s, or back to, I'm sorry, on the 1st, and was a platoon leader, and uh, we did uh, various routine maneuvers, exercises out, out in the field. Um, I was the uh, the duty the battle group staff duty officer. I think it was a Saturday night. I started getting phone weird phone calls for division. How many how many troops are in the in that battle group that are uh, that are that are um, rigor qualified mm -hmm. in how to pack parachutes? Another phone call. How many of your vehicles were deadlined? And I I just wrote the information down and and then. Uh, the following Monday, here comes President Kennedy announcing the Cuban Missile Crisis, and uh, things got uh, pretty pretty tight there. Yeah, uh, particularly where you were stationed down yeah, in the south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we were the the eighty second and the hundred first were were part of the Strategic Army Corps, and uh, each month the battle group uh, was on uh, ready reserve. You had the the ready reserve was with the battle group, and then two of their companies were immediate ready reserve, which I think was supposed to be able to deploy in 24 to 36 hours mm -hmm. notice, and then the rest, rest of the battle group would follow. And uh, with the uh, with the uh, being on, on jump status, 
you had to jump at least once every three months in order to qualify for jump pay. And uh, so I jumped in early October, and then with the Vancouver Missile Crisis, uh, it was announced no more parachute jumps. They needed those parachutes in, in case we went, mm-hmm. which obviously we didn't go. But, yeah. uh, uh, but uh, so, so what are your memories from that period in October yeah. as you were kind of watching? and? Yeah. Well, it was, uh, we were just kind of sitting on, I was sitting on pins and needles mm-hmm. and uh, just packed up my gear in case, in case we had to go. And... Uh, so anyway, that, that jump covered me October, November, December. Mm-hmm. And in, in December, things were pretty well quieted down. Uh, the, the thing got settled. They, Khrushchev was, uh, was removing missiles and so forth. And on December the 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, our company went out to, to uh, go with a, uh, a company from the 187 battle group and a live fire exercise. We would monitor them, you know, make sure nobody got out in front and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there was a uh, company commander and the assistant operations officer were in the cab of the truck with the driver, and myself and another lieutenant and a bunch of non-commissioned officers were in the back. We were driving out there, and um, it, was, it was a dirt road early in the morning. It wasn't even light yet, and uh, we apparently sideswiped a, a truck coming the other way, and it went flying out, and I hit the road on my stomach, and... I said to myself, I'm being drugged, so I let go and I stopped being drugged. But I could tell my my, my right arm my left arm was, was really hurt. Mm-hmm. I got up and the truck was maybe fifteen, twenty yards down there with the somehow the engine was gunning and there were bodies laying all over the place. And I said, Oh man, it's bad. Turns out I was the one that was most seriously hurt. Uh with my my arm. And uh so I was evacuated to the hospital and they they operated on my arm and and put on the forearm cast, so that came off in, in February. Then I had to go through physical therapy, mm-hmm. and I couldn't jump. I wasn't cleared to jump until the following June, so that covered for, for April, May, June, so I missed jump pay for, for January, February, March, so that was $330, and you can't make that up. Yeah. And then... Um, uh, because, because I had a broken arm, I couldn't... Couldn't I couldn't be. Uh, I went on convalescent leave for a little bit, but then when I got back, I couldn't be a platoon leader with, with my arm in a cast. So they made me the battle group motor officer, uh, which is kind of overseeing the motor pool and a, a lot of vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they reorganized, became the battalion S two. And in uh, February, I think it was February of nineteen sixty four, I got orders for the first special forces group on Okinawa. It kind of surprised me. I, mm-hmm. I knew I was going someplace. Uh, what did you think? Did you think you were going to Europe? Or well, I, yeah. I really didn't know, but I, but I thought at that time, naively, that if you're going to go to the special forces, you had to volunteer for special forces. But apparently, all you had to do was be airborne qualified. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I reported to uh, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and went through a a preliminary basic course. The uh, Counterinsurgency staff officers course, four weeks long. And that was a true gentleman's course. There was no field exercises. There weren't even any tests. <laughs> we just had reading materials and we sat in lectures. And, and it was very interesting, I think very helpful because they, they, they talked about communist revolutionary warfare, revolutionary warfare, wars of national liberation. We studied all that stuff, Mao Zedong, you know, and mm-hmm. 
and, uh, and Marxism and whatnot. And I have looked back my earlier years and thought if every American had gone through that course, they would have a lot of, had a lot of different attitude toward Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, fin- finished that up and uh, uh, arrived in Okinawa in uh, August the 1st, and there were five other first lieutenants on the plane. Uh, it was a, a charter, 707 charter, just carrying people to Okinawa, mm-hmm. military people. And we got to the special, first Special Forces Group headquarters, and uh, they said, okay, householder Hadley, you're going to A Company. Over cash, and uh, I, can't, I can't remember the other guy's name. You're going to B Company, Baird and Bridge, you're going to D Company. We got six A-teams in pre-deployment training for Vietnam. That did not surprise me a bit. Yeah. I, I, I pretty well know when I got quarters for that, it was going to be wide up in Vietnam, so... Yeah, so this is August of 64, so yeah. the troops went in in the spring, it, the advisory mission had kind of transitioned to... Well, th- yeah. there were still, yeah. still a lot of advisors. Yeah. Um, the, uh, in in uh, middle part of October, our A-team deployed. Uh-huh. Uh, while I was uh, in that pre-deployment training, I was living in a, a BOQ uh, off of the compound where the, where the barracks were, and I would eat... Breakfast. It, it, it was a company for a special force group. I'd eat breakfast there, and I uh, went in one morning in, in, in August, latter part of August, and they had a pile of Pacific Stars and Stripes newspapers there, and I picked up a, a newspaper, and uh, it said uh, four advisors went down fighting. The headlines, and the first sentence was, "Tall infantryman, first lieutenant William D. H. Reagan was last seen firing machine gun." He was one of the, myself and two others went through jump school, ranger school, and all were in the 502nd mm. together. And that just hit me like the yeah. proverbial ton of drips, and I was numbed for several days. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll never forget yeah, <laughs> that yeah. experience. So in Vietnam, uh, we, in our pre-deployment training, one of the things we do, we had Vietnamese language classes was taught by a young Vietnamese lady. Uh, and uh, I think we became very <laughs> proficient in it. But when we got to Vietnam, we were assigned to uh, Poly Krong in Kantun Province, which was uh, about 17 kilometers northwest of Kantun uh, City and uh, maybe 20 miles east of the border of Laos and Cambodia mm-hmm. in South Vietnam. And our, our troops there, what they call a strike force, or CIDG, Civilian Irregular Defense Group, were all mountain yards. Okay. Uh, I, I equate the mountain yards in Vietnam to the American Indians. Yeah, so indigenous, indi- indigenous yeah, peoples right. in yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Vietnamese, our counterparts were the Vietnamese uh, Special Forces Detachment. Mm-hmm. Their commanding officer was a Vietnamese captain, but their executive officer uh, was a Jirai. That was one of the Vietnamese, one of the Mountain Yard tribes. And our, our companies were part Jirai, part Benar, part Sedang. And he could speak all three of those languages. Mm. And the camp we went to had been overrun, I think it was the previous June, either June or July the 4th. Uh, and uh, so that that was something that got our attention. And yeah, we were very pretty, very attentive to uh, 
camp security and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we conducted ground operations and really by the time we were there from October to, to January, we had one minor probe and, and that was it. Um, and then we were told they were closing the camp, which I will say personally didn't didn't uh, disappoint me because the back of the camp was, was to a river and the the camp was strategically or or tactically not very defensible. Mm. You look, you stand there, look at the camp, look around, and you see high ground all around the camp. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so then they moved it out to Jane Khan, which is the uh, capital of Kanwa Providence. Kanwa is where Nyatrang is, where that's where the Fifth Special Forces Group headquarters was. Yeah, and we had a pilot mission of training regular force and and um, uh, popular force troops. So that's what we did until. April, whenever that was six months, it's over. I see. Um, so that was my my first tour. That was months. your first tour, and I know you you did. Uh, then you did two more years, two more tours. That's correct. Six month, and then two one year tours. Yes. Talk a little bit about the next two tours. I know they're quite different than yeah, that initial yeah. assignment. Yeah. Uh, I, I finished uh, the infantry officer uh, career course at Fort Benning, Georgia, which I think was thirty nine weeks long, if I'm not mistaken, and. Uh, got orders for the 196 Light Infantry Brigade. It was an American unit. It was a separate brigade in Vietnam. And um, so I reported in. They had been uh, in Tainin, which is in the Third Third Corps, um, in, which is Saigon in. But, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, then, then they moved them up to around Chulai, which is in the First Corps. Mm -hmm. And uh, our initial mission was to the three battalions was to surround the Chulai Air Base, and uh, among other, you know, besides conducting operations against the, the, the Viet Cong and even the NBA, was to put, try to protect the air base from rocket attacks. Okay, so just so folks are listening, uh, Vietnam, which of course now is not divided, but we have a we then we have a North Vietnam and a South Vietnam and a DMZ and. Uh, you're you're up in the northern area of that southern uh, of South Vietnam, yep. and so you're in an area, I would assume, where there, there's a lot more activity than this area you were initially in with your initial uh, tour. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, just as it turned out. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and uh, so we were there, and then uh, and at, at a certain point, uh, we were told we were going to move north, so we moved north to uh, maybe 50 miles or so, and then west into an area. Our battalion commander said, that's, that's Indian country. <laughs> because there's main force Vietnamese unit, Viet Cong units, and NVA, North Vietnamese Army units there. And uh, we were, the three battalions had fire support bases on top of hills, and they had a 105 millimeter howitzer battery assigned to them so that those hovers of batteries could be mutually reinforced. They were within range. Mm -hmm. We were in center, and we could fire and help west, and west could fire and help us. And then east was same thing with east. And uh, so at, at that time, I was a headquarters company commander, so I was limited to the uh, to the fire support base. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and uh, we got our, some of our units got some pretty heavy fire fights and, mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And then in in uh, uh, 
I guess it was April, we, they moved us north, and we didn't really know what was going on uh, outside of way. And then for our battalion, they moved us all the way up to uh, just south of the DMZ. And, <coughs> and uh, I was sent up there to the, we were going to be, become under the operational control of the 3rd Marine Regiment, 3rd Marine Division. So I was sent up there to be the initial liaison officer. And, uh, and then our battalion commander came up and, and uh, basically they said, okay, you're going to go in there and occupy this this particular hamlet, and uh, there's a uh, another hamlet, Neha, which is north of there, uh, which is probably has NVA in it. You need to take that hamlet, mm -hmm. and um, so we got got back there, and and uh, I was like I say, I was at that time I was a battalion intelligence officer, so I was there with the battalion headquarters, and. Uh, our companies went up to take Deha, and that was quite a battle. Mm. Uh, finally, finally got rid of them, and uh, it was hard to dislodge them. They finally called in the, the forward air, air force forward air controller. Finally called in uh, some Marine jet fighters with two thousand pound bombs to just <laughs> knock them out. So, talk a little bit about the challenges of working. This is counterinsurgency still at the hamlet level, where you're, where you're, where you're trying to work to secure some of these hamlets. What, what were the challenges there? Well, the, the second time I was there, we mm -hmm. really didn't, we really didn't get involved with with, with the hamlets. There's a, that one hamlet, Neha, that we mm -hmm. were told to take it, and, and and our troops did and defended it, and then we were pulled out to, to, on May the 16th, and finally wound up going back far as far as the board center. Until I was uh, got orders to come back to the United States, um, but my third tour, uh, when I came back to the United States, I was assigned. I put in for the uh, requested to be assigned to the U.S. Army Special Warfare School at Fort Bragg. I wanted to, since I was Special Forces qualified, I wanted to go teach at the Unconventional Warfare Department, mm. and among other things, get back on jump status. Yeah, and uh, so when I got there, they, uh, they uh, chief of staff looked at my my personnel form, and he said, you majored in psychology in college. You're going to the psychological operations department. I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I said, I need to get back on jump status, sir. Said, no problem. We got plenty of jump slots there. I don't, I don't know how they justified them, but, but they did. So so I taught uh, for two years at psychological operations department, and that's, yeah, I got a lot more insight, or maybe just added to my insight about counterinsurgency and, and uh, wars of national liberation, you know, and, and things of that nature. Uh, one of the courses I taught was a one-hour course on the Chu Hoi program, which was a program to, to try to induce Viet Cong to surrender and come over and join the Arvin Army of mm -hmm. Vietnam forces. So I, I taught a one-hour course on that, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, Did you like teaching psych ops? Yeah, yeah it was... Yeah. Uh, it, it was interesting. It was good, and and uh, like I said, I got back on jump status, which I was uh, appreciated. And uh, then uh, in August of, uh, of 1968, I'm sorry, August of 1970. I got there in August of 68. In August of 1970, uh, I got a call from the infantry branch saying you're due to go back to Vietnam one more time, and. Uh, I had, in the meantime, I had gotten married, um, 
the, the lady that I married, her husband was a was a captain there in the psychological operations department, and he was a private pilot. And uh, one day he, the the wife of the administrative officer there at that department, wanted to go see her dad in eastern Tennessee. And he said, I will fly you if you pay for the gas. Mm. So he flew her there. And coming back, he got caught in a snowstorm and wound up hitting him out. And, and they... They appointed me to be her survivor assistance officer. Now they call them casualty assistance officers. So my job was to was to uh, get the personal affairs wrapped up, get her, help her to clear quarters, and put in for uh, uh, various insurance, uh, you know, insurance cards, insurance claims, and and stuff like that, and arrange for transportation. She lived here in Texas. Her family lived in Belton, and uh, so I. We, we got her on a plane to fly out of Fayetteville, mm-hmm. and uh, that was April. He, he was killed in February of 1969 in April. Uh, well, th- then she left in April, and in June she came back and visited uh, a bunch of the wives there in the department, and we went out on a couple of dates, and uh, she invited me to come to, oh, she had first at the house in Austin, so she invited me to come to uh to Austin and uh, she didn't go on leave and when I did we got engaged. I'm starting to figure out how you became a Texan now. Yeah, uh. that, <laughs> so so we uh, uh, got engaged and um, we went back in December of 1969. We got buried, packed up the family, back to Fort Bragg, and then um, like I say, I got got <coughs> in a conversation with the infantry branch in Washington D.C. They said you're you need to go to Vietnam one more time. <clears throat> and I, I said, well, there's some way I can delay it or something like that. And, you know, I gave him the story about my, my wife uh, being a widow and so forth. And, and so here, here's what we can do. We can send you to the U.S. Department of State Foreign Service Institute for 18 weeks for training, and then you can go over and become a district senior advisor in Vietnam. Uh-huh. So that sounded great. So myself and one of the other majors there, we both went to that same course. And uh, then we deployed to Vietnam. And <clears throat> I wound up at the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the advisor to uh, to uh, Kowloon District, Kinh Province. Uh, a province in Vietnam is like a state in the United mm-hmm. States. A district in Vietnam is like a county. And then below the below district, you have villages and hamlets. But the villages are a geographical area. Well, that the hamlet is is a built-up area with with uh, housing mm-hmm. and maybe a, a marketplace or something like that. And there may be a school there, an aid station, something like that. And you have then you, <coughs> you had several hamlets would make up a village, and then. Several villages would make up the the, uh, the uh, province. Province, yeah. Well, the district. district several hamlets make up and the then, district. And several districts would make up a province. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So the uh, Kowloon district was uh, it was uh, it was right on the Mekong River, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it was um, it had twelve villages. And sixty-four hamlets, and the uh, 
there, there, there existed at that time what they called HESS or Hamlet Evaluation System. And that was a system where uh, they had a bunch of criteria and advisors would fill out, you know, answer the questions about is there a marketplace in each village, each hamlet? Uh, is it acceptable? Uh, can people travel freely from, from one hamlet to another or to you know, inner village? Are there schools? Are there not medical facilities? Uh, are people relatively safe? And uh, that's a very brief description of it. It's a rather lengthy so, question. So you're doing more than just determining how pacified that hamlet yeah. is. It's it's more of a survey than that. Yeah. 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 And and uh, so it, it turned out that that Kowloon District was was rated A. You had A A B C D and B vehicle controlled. Mm-hmm. I think that was the way it went. But but Kowloon was all A, and all the all the hamlets and and, uh, and villages were rated A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I uh, it was possible to, to drive around on, on main highways, just myself and and my interpreter, and myself and the sergeant that worked with me, and mm-hmm. the interpreter. And um, but that doesn't mean that just because there were AIDS that everything was okay. Yeah. Uh, the 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 uh, they had seven regional force companies throughout that that district, and I think there was one uh, one popular force platoon at each. At each hamlet, and uh, one of the uh, and the the, the 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 topography was such it was perfectly flat, just about mm. perfectly flat. But it had a lot of canals, mm-hmm. and because uh, this is down on the delta of the Mekong, yeah, in yeah. the delta, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, when I would go with my interpreter, uh, uh, and maybe my sergeant would go with me uh, to visit a, a hamlet or a village. Uh, we were able to get on a boat, a motorboat, <laughs> and uh, I have my map there, and I'm just telling where to go, and I just follow around. You know, it's just kind of the reading a, a map of a city, mm-hmm. something like that. We made it a point, uh, wherever we went to visit, when we returned, to take a different route back so that we didn't come across a place where the VC might be. They watch us going in and set up the ambushes coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the, one of the companies got hit one night and uh, pretty much overrun, and that was a, a pretty messy situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, about the Hamlet evaluation system, I reported that, but didn't change the rating. <laughs> and then we had a, another uh, popular force platoon uh, outpost was hit at night, and. Uh, we, we were out there the next morning. You could see where the VC were crawling underneath the wire up that grass, and they would get up. It was a triangular-shaped uh, fortification with a berm, and the VC apparently got in there and got close enough and just threw hand grenades in and got up on that and, and killed a lot of people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was getting pretty frustrated with the, with, the, with the district chief. He didn't seem to, to care much about the, you know, what was going on. And... The, the we, we had a couple other instances where the, where those were attacked, and I examined the situation. They're all getting being attacked when there's no moon, which makes sense. Interesting, yeah. So um, the, the enemy wasn't visible, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, and it looks like I reported all those on. I think I had the main, the basic 
handling evaluation system uh, was done be- years before I got there. Mm-hmm. And I think this had a quarterly upgrade. And so I reported these things, and it really didn't affect. I was kind of surprised it didn't affect the, uh, the, uh, the evaluation. And I could say the Kaldon district was was in Tianfeng province. That was also where the Kaldon the city, Kaldon city, which was the province capital. Mm-hmm. So I was living with the province advisory team in the compound. And one night we uh, we heard a boom. And uh, some of us got in the jeeps, and uh, down there was just a uh, an open air restaurant. Uh, and the VZ had come in and uh, blew a broom, mm-hmm. you know, set off a bomb. And uh, I remember a little baby was killed, and a couple other people were wounded, but uh, it didn't <laughs> it didn't change the uh, the thing. And before I left. Um, as a matter of fact, in that, that fall, I was <clears throat> feeling uh, pain in my, my stomach area. And I thought that I was getting an ulcer, worrying about the district chief wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing and how things were going. And <clears throat> uh, so anyway, I was about ready to be deployed back to the United States uh, and... Uh, the, uh, the province senior advisor wanted me to sit down with uh, the Vietnamese officer and go through the quarterly update with him. So we went through, and I, I started showing him, you know, reflecting what happened. He said, no, we can't do that. It'll look bad on us. And uh, it's just, that was not surprising because there, there were a lot, of, a lot of Americans who thought the Vietnamese Army people were corrupt. Mm-hmm. There was a assistant, uh, a captain who was an as- assistant to the district chief of Vietnamese, and he was trying to get his own district up in I Corps in the northern part of the company. And the interpreter told me that he had to come up with thirty five thousand dollars in order to get that. Mm. And yeah. When I left, he hadn't hadn't got it. <laughs> uh, anyway, as it turned out, I, I got back to Saigon uh, to come back to the United States, and. Uh, I got up one morning and looked in the mirror, and my eyes were yellow and my skin was yellow. I said, oh, now I know what it is, hepatitis. So I was supposed to come back before Christmas, mm-hmm. but um, um, it put me in the hospital, and I was there for a week. Mm. And, uh, I was able to call my wife and tell them, like, I'm not coming home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, uh, well, can, can you talk a little bit about kind of – from your view in this last tour, and you, you had the perspective of three tours, but they're very spread out. So you kind of saw the war at different points, and it's, uh, it seems like it's a different conflict in the early 70s. Can you kind of talk about kind of your perspective on it then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, this, this district senior advisor and province senior advisor course at the U.S. Department of State Foreign Service Institute was – I've been give, I was given to believe was part of the, the Nixon Vietnamization program mm-hmm. that we're trying to get the Vietnamese to do more and more and more, and I was getting less and less and less and less involved. And from the perspective of Kowloon District, Kinh mm-hmm. Phuong Province, that, that seemed to be working. 
Um, the, uh, the, the, the district just north of, of me, uh, they had a U.S. Department of State Foreign Service officer as their district senior advisor. And he went back to, to go back to the United States. And the, our, my boss, the uh, probably senior advisor, a colonel, asked me to go up and you know, told me to go up and <laughs> co- coordinate with the... Uh, they don't ask you. <laughs> yeah, coordinate with the, uh, with the uh, district chief up there to see what he needed, how things were going, and so forth. So when I went up there, I just... Myself, I drove, and I had my interpreter with me. We drove, I don't know... 20 miles. We were armed, but, you know, didn't, wasn't any problem. Which is, I probably drove around sometimes where I shouldn't have, but nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it seemed to be working. Now, other other parts, I can't speak for, you know, what else was going on in other, other parts of the country. I know that, uh, that while I was there, that, that third tour, uh, there was a, Another major that went through the through the uh, Foreign Service Institute course, and he was assigned to a, a, a district also in the, in the Delta, and uh, one of his outposts got hit, and he went to uh, I think they went to try to re- to relieve the the siege, so to speak, and he was killed in action. Mm. Uh, so you know, you just you just never know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, well, let's talk about the end of this third tour and then kind of your transition back stateside. Um, you get you don't get back till January, I guess. You, yeah. You, you you missed Christmas and uh, where do you come back to and then what's next yeah. for you? My my assignment was uh, was as the an active army advisor to the National Guard Battalion here in Waco. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I when I got back. Uh, I got on the phone with the infantry branch. I guess it was after when I when I was met back back to the United States. Um, I was on a C one forty one starlifter aircraft. And I was on a stretcher, and I went to uh, to an Air Force base down in San Antonio for several days. And then I was on convalescent leave. No, then up to Darnell and my hospital for for Hood, and then uh, home for. Uh, convalescent leave and I've got on the branch on the, on the telephone with the infantry uh, branch and said I, I wanted to go someplace else I don't want on that national guard advisor saying well says you uh, that's where you're going and it's an airborne infantry battalion right here in Waco Texas third battalion airborne 243rd infantry mm-hmm. part of the uh, at that time the Texas National Guard had the 71st Airborne Brigade. I said, you're going there, and uh, we need qualified airborne, experienced airborne officers. So, well, looks like I'm going to get back on jump status, <laughs> which, was, which was good. So that's why I wound up coming, coming up here. And then, um, so I got back on jump status. We got here in, in uh, February of 1972. I got back in jump status and uh, finally got enough jumps to get my, what they call the master parachutist badge. You have to have at least 65 jumps. Mm. So I got that. And then we got word that the, the uh, they're reactivating the 49th Armored Division. And uh, so I asked to stay on 
I didn't want to keep moving my family around. Mm-hmm. And so they said, yeah, you can stay on. So I stayed on. Uh, it became the Armored Cavalry Squadron of the 49th Armored Division. It's still the Armored Cavalry Squadron, but now it's uh, part of the 36th Infantry Division. So, it's the same year. so that's where I, where I wound up. Uh, so how did you find Waco uh, as, as, as a place to end up as a, yeah. as a, New, as a New York uh, native? Yeah, well, I, well, yeah, I liked it. I, I became a, a resident of, of Texas, you know, official Texas citizen. Uh, and uh, Waco was, was a nice time. We, were, we, we, we still have the house in Austin, uh-huh. and we figured that— This is her family's house in Austin? Well, that yeah. is the house that my, my wife bought when she came back, left Fort Bragg. I see. After okay. her husband was killed. So. Yeah. So we still, we still had that house, and we figured that we'd eventually wind up there. But then uh, we just decided to. The kids were in school and everything. We didn't want to move. So we stayed here and, and uh, really no regrets at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's a large, large enough town to offer all the things you, you'd probably want. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, but small enough to, to avoid the big traffic jams that you find down in Austin. And if you want big city life, you know, Dallas 100 miles north, Austin 100 miles south. Mm-hmm. San Antonio and Houston, 180 miles down, mm-hmm. down the road, and so forth. So, the uh, uh, as a Vietnam veteran, um, one of the things that I think you know, you, you think about is uh, transitioning back to civilian life once you've been in country and, and you've been in conflict. How did that go for you? That transition, to, yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was it was no problem, mm-hmm. um, and and. Uh, I got a job with Metropolitan Life Insurance Company as an agent, mm-hmm. and um, wasn't particularly successful. I was not spec- spectacularly successful, but I but I hung in there, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was a good good experience, and mm-hmm. and uh, I learned a lot about finances and, and stuff like that, and that's where uh, where I met Manuel Sestata, who. Got, got me involved with the Vietnam Veterans Memorial here. Yeah, t- so talk a little bit about how that uh, initiated. And, and uh, I know we, we lost Manuel uh, here recently. Well, I guess it's been over a year ago now. He, but, he yeah. died yeah. Uh, May, t- May 30th of last year. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about him yeah. and, and also kind of how you, know, you got involved in, in this work yeah. of the... Uh, well, Manuel was a Marine. Mm-hmm. He was assigned to the 3rd Marine Division on Okinawa. And when the division deployed to Vietnam in March of 1965, he was he was part of that. Okay. And he spent a year in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened to him after that, but he finally then was discharged. And he, had, he grew, was born and raised here in Waco. Mm-hmm. And he had a couple jobs, then went work to work for Metropolitan Life Insurance. was very successful, as it turned out. And he knew I was a Vietnam veteran. I knew he was a Vietnam veteran. One day in uh, 1987, uh, the fall of 87, he said he and some other guys were sitting down at a bar talking, and they said, well, we came up with the idea, why don't we look into building a Vietnam Veterans Memorial here in Waco? And he said, would you like to get involved? And I didn't hesitate, and I said, sure. And my main inspiration was Dave Reagan, who I told you about, the guy mm-hmm. who was killed in, in, um, in Vietnam while I was in pre-deployment training in Okinawa. So uh, we got some other other people involved, 
and uh, we had an initial meeting at the, uh, there was a Ramada Inn at, uh, at Valley Mills Drive and uh, Franklin. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting there, and I think about 10 people showed up. And some of them were, were from family members of people who were killed in Vietnam. It was advertised in the paper. And I remember there was a World War II veteran there from uh, Clifton, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he said, you guys would be lucky if you raise $100. Well, that didn't deter us. So, so why do you think he said that? I, I don't know, but it could have been... Uh, It, it just could have been, you know, it, 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 maybe he was still thinking of the anti-Vietnam War sentiment. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was thinking about that, yeah. even though this was some years later. Yeah. Um, and this is after the National Memorial had been yeah, dedicated. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, uh, so we decided to, uh, from that meeting, we decided to press on. So uh, four of us, Manuel, myself, Robert Gamboa, and Raymond Tovar, uh, went and met with the city council, and uh, David Sibley was mayor, and uh, made a presentation saying we'd like to build a Vietnam Veterans Memorial here in Waco. And uh, to simplify things, their their question was, "What's it going to look like?" And we said, well, "We don't know <laughs> where it, what it's going to look like till we know where it's going to go." And he said, "Well, we can't tell you where it's going to go till we know what it's look like." Yeah, at that point, uh, you only had a list of names, right? You just had a list of. of we we had yeah. we had we had forty five names. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. one of our guys came up with forty five names, mm-hmm. and uh, and that were that was um, servicemen from Waco and McLennan County. Yeah, that had been lost in the war. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, so we were basically the city council said, "Well, go ahead and proceed with your 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 planning and." and uh, organization and so forth, and keep us advised. And uh, I'd known a a guy, I I knew of a guy, Guy Cox, his name is an attorney here in Waco, and for a while he was was a Vietnam veteran and was with the uh, Marine Corps Reserve Unit here. And I remember he he came to a meeting of the uh, Professional Life Insurance Association meeting here. Uh, One time, dealing with Toys for Tots, you know, to encourage our participation in Toys for Tots. So I knew of him. Mm-hmm. And I went and talked with him, and uh, he says he was a lawyer, and I said, you know, would you get involved with this? He said, sure. So he was, thankfully, drew up a, a constitution by laws and, you know, and so forth, and we were, uh, and submitted it, and uh, that was approved in the state of Texas in December of 1987. Mm-hmm. This other stuff was a, was October, November time frame. So this is to create the nonprofit to raise the money. Yeah, uh, yeah. From so the that memorial. was your, your, yeah. in the, we call it the Waco Citizens for Vietnam Veterans Memorial Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And so once we got our, uh, our corporation, uh, that was submitted to the IRS as well. Then we applied for 501c3 status, and sometime later we got that, which cleared the way for us to uh, go out and, and raise the money. And in the meantime, we were. We were looking to, you know, where are we going to put this thing? We had in mind uh, an area uh, across from uh, the Honda River, uh, right at the intersection of Franklin and what is now Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a nice big grassy area there, and it 
happened or maps said Indians on, the, on the river side there uh, on the river side of that intersection there uh, kind of on the suspension bridge side I think you showed me yeah well it's, yeah. it's but it's all down to Franklin yeah 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 and in the maps we saw we have said Indian Spring Park East mm-hmm well and and we had even uh, I think uh, I can't remember what it was it could have been around Memorial Day of 1988 we even uh, set up a big tent out there and KWTX broadcast for 45 hours from there, for, you know, for, for, for the 45 men. The DJ was out there and so forth. Mm. We had a gathering and stuff like that and started raising money. And uh, so, and, and another thing we did was to uh, get together a project to get designs. We had a design contest. And... Uh, Somehow I got involved with Bill Dietz from Dietz Memorial, mm-hmm. and he agreed to help. And uh, so he put together a committee. I sat in on it. I was not a voting member of the committee, but I sat in on the committee. I remember we had a young lady who was part of the Parks and Recreation, Recreation Department, and, and he was there. And we had uh, uh, an architect, I don't recall his name, but he was there, and we had several other people there. And we asked for for designs, and we I think we had about... Uh, Maybe eight to ten designs were submitted, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, kept the the, the uh, identity of the people hidden from the from the uh, committee, mm-hmm. so they were basing their their evaluations on the design and not on who who submitted it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came up with one that that looked looked pretty good. The cr- one of the criteria was that we, of course, we wanted something some centerpiece to we can name the people that people were killed. Mm-hmm. We also wanted to have a gathering area. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with design, and he set it for that area uh, at Franklin and what is now MLK. And as it turned out, unbeknownst to us at that time, this was actually part of Martin Luther King Park. And uh, members of the community did not appreciate a Vietnam veteran memorial going in there because Martin Luther King was was against the war. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we uh, we really pushed to get in there, and uh, we we finally uh, finally became came before the uh, the city council, and uh, one of the councilmen, um, unfortunately, I don't recall his name. He's passed away, but he knew Manuel quite well, mm-hmm. and he moved that uh, made a motion. That we be allowed to put him up island at that at that place. So, because it was an alternate, it had been identified as an alternate site. Well, no, that, that was the one we wanted. Okay. Y- y- again, across the river. Yeah. From uh, right there at Martin Luther King and Franklin, mm-hmm. and uh, that great big grassy area. Mm-hmm. And so, so this guy, this councilman, moved that we be given that property. And the motion died for lack of a second. Mm. So the uh, the the mayor um, appointed some people from what was the Parks and Recreations Commission is mm. what it was, and he, he tasked them with finding us another location. So they set about uh, doing that, and they came up with with three three locations. The first choice, their first choice, was right across Franklin from 
from uh, right to Franklin and what is now MLK, I think it was Lake Brazos Drive at that time. Mm-hmm. It was a, an area that sloped down. There was a lot of trees there. On like the other that. side of Franklin from yeah, the, yeah. the original location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was close to the bridge where the train would go across and blow its whistle. Mm-hmm. The second one was where the Doris Miller so Okay. Located. Yeah, and the third one is where we're at mm-hmm. uh, at there at um, University Parks in Washington, and uh, so we we kept pressing for the for the third choice, and uh, they kept pressing for the <laughs> this commission kept pressing for the first choice, and uh, as I understand it, the way it came out, Sam Jack McClasson, who at that time was one of the councilmen. Uh, at, at a council meeting, said, "Look, you've been messing around with these people long enough. Give them what they want and let them get going on the thing." So the council voted okay. So that's how we wound up with our with our memorial location. How did the community respond to the effort, the fun, both fundraising and the publicity effort for it? First of all, the Waco Tribune Herald was very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Young was the editorial mm-hmm. page editor at that time, and he was very, very supportive of it. Uh, the, I, th- I think it's fair to say, in my opinion, the only response we got were from, from Vietnam veterans and the families of the people that were, were killed that were still here or, or that died in Vietnam that were still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was, that was pretty much it. Um, we had a lot of fundraising uh, efforts, uh, you know, bake sales and, and whatnot. And... Um, the, uh, there was a, a country and western band that uh, had a, a benefit dance for us. At a, it was a VFW post that is no longer there out on, in the Lacey Lakeview area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so forth. But it was just a, a long, drawn-out process. And in the meantime, we were, uh, we were receiving requests that we add additional names for the ones we already had. And we just, we, one of the people, uh, I don't recall the lady's name, but uh, matter of fact, I just saw her recently. Uh, she was at Connolly Air Force Base with her husband, and they had a son, and um, he deployed to Vietnam. They stayed here in Waco, and he was, died in Vietnam. And uh, she asked us to add his name. And uh, so he wasn't from Waco, proper, you know, but mm-hmm. he'd been here. So we decided to establish the criteria that in order for a name to appear, that first of all, it has to be on the wall in Washington, D.C. Secondly, there has to be some kind of tie to the city of Waco. And that was the obvious tie there. Mm-hmm. That, that he was, they were stationed at Connolly, and the family was still here. And uh, so we added more, more names. And... Uh, and actually, that's how we uh, th- those names were added to the to the I think the forty five that we had uh, for the basic the, the basic stone in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example was uh, I got a call from a lady, a family we've known ever since we moved here, that her older son was married to a young lady. They were living here in Waco now, and her dad died in Vietnam. Would we add him and his name? And the, the tie to Waco was the fact that his daughter was living here. Mm-hmm. And so we said yes. I, I found out years later that 
during his high school years, he had been at the Methodist home. Oh, wow. So then, you know, yeah. really established it. Yeah, he had a Waco connection yeah. deeper than that. Yeah. 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 So, uh, do you remember what the fundraising goal, what, what y'all needed to raise for it? Um, I don't. It was, I think it's several hundred thousand, but what basically happened was that, uh, um, one of the sisters, or a sister of one of the guys that was killed in Vietnam, uh, was working for uh, uh, a CPA here in Waco, mm-hmm. uh, who also uh, did CPA work for uh, the charities that were running Bingo. At that time, it was New Road Bingo, mm-hmm. which is not there anymore. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, and uh, so we had, that gave it, that gave us an opportunity to set up a, a bingo operation there. So we applied for that license. And uh, I think we had it for six calendar quarters. For the first four, we made a lot of money. Bingo is expensive. You gotta, you gotta make money because you, know, you gotta pay the help. Uh, the people that work in the home, you gotta pay the state a certain amount mm-hmm. uh, at the end of each quarter and so forth. So for f- the first four quarters, we made a, a whole lot of money. And uh, then, uh, the last two quarters, we were operating at a loss. We decided at that time it was time to end it we, with a healthy profit overall. So we did that. So that, that gave us a lot of cash. I see. Uh, yeah. Maybe two or three hundred thousand. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, we plans were uh, underway for the for the new location. And uh, and, that, and that was the guy that won the original design. Was redesigned it for us, uh, which we see out there now, mm-hmm. and uh, we were pretty much on the verge of, of doing it. We, we at, at a certain point, well, Guy Cox also uh, he was friends with Bob Wallace of Wallace Engineering, mm-hmm. and he asked Bob if Bob would pitch in with his expertise and his company, and Bob said he would. So they did the engineering part. At a certain point. Uh, they, they said, okay, you're gonna have to build this in two phases uh, because we needed to get something there. But, you know, we People were starting to get discouraged. Emmanuel came up with an idea of sponsor a name. At that time, we had 60 names. Mm-hmm. And if you get a, a family, an individual, a company, a club, an organization to sponsor a name for $1,000, that'd be at least 60,000. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but the, um, People were getting getting discouraged. Uh, you're not making progress fast enough. And uh, the uh, matter of fact, I belong to American Legion Post 121, and they they gave us a thousand. And I knew that the president uh, or the commander of that post, uh, his wife worked with me at Metfault Life Insurance. She was an office lady. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I got a call from him and said. We need. We want to get our money back. We'll hold it, and when you're ready to build, then we'll give it back to you. And we decided, no, we're not going to give it back. Mm-hmm. People get in that track, you know, who knows how much yeah. they're going to get back and so forth. And finally, we got to a point where we went ahead and built the first phase, which was the wall right there at the intersection of Washington and, and University, Park, University Parks, and the plaza inside, mm-hmm. and the branches of the of the five it's, got, it's got the insignias. Yeah, uh, insignia, yeah. yeah, and the Veterans Plaza plaque mm-hmm. and those concrete benches in there. 
And uh, so we got that built. I think we, we got that completed, if I'm not mistaken, 1999 maybe. It would be 1989 because uh, 1990, I think, is when it was, wasn't it well, dedicated it was, it, was, it was. It took us from incorporation to completion, completion being the second phase, 15 years and nine months. Okay. So that, that was done. And then we, uh, at one point, Manuel and I went before the uh, tax, inc- tax increment financing mm-hmm. yeah, TIF. board. board yeah. yeah. And we asked them for a donation for 50000 and uh, Manuel started to describe things, and I said, "Manuel, you don't need to talk. You got it." <laughs> so we got, and that that put us over the top to to be able to uh, complete the. Yeah, the so month. it was fully completed and dedicated in two thousand four, right? Yeah, like yeah, it was, yeah, it yeah. was September, end of September two thousand three. It was fully completed. Then we set about organizing a real formal dedication, mm-hmm. and it took took quite a bit of effort, quite, quite a bit of planning. Mm-hmm. We had two gigantic tents out there on on Univers- University Park Drive to block traffic off and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a nice formal dedication, mm. and, and that's what put us in. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, about the design, and I was hoping what you could do, if someone's listening to this and they're standing on that Veterans Plaza that you just mm-hmm. mentioned, it's kind of up the hill near Franklin, so they can see the insignia. Talk a little bit about that plaza, and then if you don't mind walking us down through yeah. uh, the flow of the memorial. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that 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 we had in mind when we asked for the for the design and, and really insisted on is we want something to recognize everybody that went to Vietnam. There is, in San Antonio, a very nice statue is downtown San Antonio, not near the Riverwalk, but downtown San Antonio, of a Marine that's been shot. It's a, a very large statue that's shot, and he's laying on his back, and another Marine is, I think, leaning down to feel as if he has a pulse or something like that. And, okay, well, that's great for all the, all the infantrymen. And I was an infantryman. Mm-hmm. That's great for all the infantrymen. Um, one of the guys we were talking to said, well, you know, you need to get a Huey helicopter in there. And when I think of Vietnam, he was a Vietnam veteran. So I think of Huey's. Well, of course you do. Uh, so do I. But we wanted something to recognize everybody mm-hmm. besides the grunts on the ground, so to speak. So that's how we came up with the idea of the branches, of the five military branches of service. And the Coast Guard, in fact, did have a presence in Vietnam. Um, so that's how, how we did that. So that, that our intent was to recognize everybody there. And, so, it, and is the hope with the benches there that, that someone might spend some time there kind of reflecting or? Yeah, well, yeah. that and the fact that, you know, we, we, we wanted a, an area where people could gather. So that would also provide seating mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that was, the, that was the plaza and the, um, and it had that, you know, that straight wall with the, with the uh, seals of the branches of service, and then the curved part of the wall, and in 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 that curved part, and in looking inside at the plaza, is a, uh, is a plaque identifying this as Veterans Plaza. And the way that came about is Manuel Cetata went to Herb Reynolds, uh, who I think was a retired Air Force Reserve officer. Lieutenant Colonel, and asked for donations, a donation from Baylor. And 
President uh, Reynolds said, well, I'm paraphrasing, that is what I understood. I wasn't there. Said, we, is there some way you can, can expand this beyond Vietnam? So that's how we came up with, with the Veterans Plaza. It's mm -hmm. dedicated to all those who came before us and those who came after us, mm -hmm. is, is, the, is the way that reads right there. And uh, what turned out there was uh, apparently put out the word to staff and faculty to make donations if they wanted to. We got about $5,000 worth of donations from individual Baylor people, not, not from the university itself. Mm -hmm. And that helped. Mm -hmm. Very much, very much appreciated. So that, that was Veterans Plaza. And then uh, the perhaps the more meaningful part are the three pavilions. You leave the plaza and, and walk down through uh, a grove of Yopan holly trees. The guy that designed it his, his idea was a Yopon holly for every individual that we had named on there. And you can't, you don't look at a particular tree and say, okay, that belongs to Joe Blow or uh, Jim Smith or whatever, just one tree per person. And so the idea is you go down to this grove of Yopon holly trees. So the first pavilion you come to is called the beginning. And it's, it's a four, four concrete pillars with a roof and it's a pavilion. And uh, that represents our country and our way of lives before the Vietnam War. And proceed further through the grove. And, and I think it says, we were whole. It says the kind of the phrase yeah, yeah, that it uses. Yeah, it. before the Vietnam War. Yeah, we, we were, were whole. whole. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the second uh, second pavilion is the third, first pavilion torn down. Uh, there are parts of pillars standing and parts of pillars laying on the, on the ground there. And that's the conflict. And the uh, in front of that is a, uh, a uh, concrete piece of concrete with a plaque that says, uh, I think it says the. Uh, I've got it here. The Vietnam War right. brought destruction and turmoil. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So mm -hmm. that represents the war itself. Mm -hmm. And you go further on down, and you come to the third pavilion, which looks like the th first pavilion, but it, the they have cracks where the where it looks like where the pillars were put back together again, and it's at an angle. The axis is at an angle compared with the axis of the other two pavilions, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's the uh, the honor. Uh, we're honoring uh, the people that were were killed, and yeah, that that one reads just so we'll have it. The sacrifices of those we honor make this hallowed ground. Let us strive to reunite and heal. Right. So the idea that it's put back together, yeah. but it's changed. Yeah, yeah. It's put, put in, at an angle to signify that that uh, no matter what happens, we'll, we'll never be back the way we were before the, before mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Now, here we are, year 2021. You know, who thinks about that anymore? Mm -hmm. it, meant, it meant a lot to us at that time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, as a historian, I think about it a lot, <laughs> and I do think I, I do think we're forever changed by it. Now, one thing that's down near that third pavilion is there's an empty. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that empty tree ring is it's empty for a purpose. That tree is to that tree ring, which is empty, is to signify or in remembrance of those who are missing in action. And. Uh, so, so that's that's it. And it's right there, right next to the third pavilion. Mm -hmm. 
And then on the back side, we have inscribed St. Francis of Assisi's Prayer for Peace, mm. which if you read through it and then think about the honor and, and, and all that, it, it really makes a lot of sense, the wording of that. Mm-hmm. St. Francis of Assisi's Prayer for Peace. Yeah. And that, that pavilion has, um, that third pavilion has the names listed. Yeah. And then I know y'all have added names yeah. since that dedication. Yeah. We, we added, uh, we have added names, I think, three or four times. And I'm, I tried to write down how many names we added at different times, and I'm not successful except the last time we added names, which was, uh, well, that, let, me, let, me, let me start off. Joe Phipps of Phipps Memorial has also been very supportive mm-hmm. of our effort. And he donated those two benches that are down by that third pavilion. And when we added one to add more names, other than the, the initial 60 that were there, uh, we didn't have space. So I went to talk to Joe Phipps, and he says, yeah, we can put wings on either side of those. And one wing will add additional names. The other wing, we want some inscription, which we did a, an inscription from, I think, Patrick Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's how we could, could add additional names there. And uh, Phipps Memorial engraved them. He didn't, he, he, Joe Phipps did, uh, donated those those two pieces and donated the labor to add the names mm. uh, on about four or five different occasions. Mm. And the last one, uh, Robert Gamboa, who is a Vietnam veteran and our uh, our corporate historian, Vietnam veterans moral historian, uh, did some research and he found uh, seven Baylor alumni that, that died in Vietnam. Now, one of the names from earlier that we added was also in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are additional, uh, additional group of seven. And so... Uh, and their connection was they had attended Baylor. Exactly, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he worked with the veterans liaison officer and... Uh, to get how we're going to do this. And uh, we identified the people, got their names put on, and uh, we're fortunate enough to uh, have arranged, we had the money to, to arrange for a, uh, a dedication meeting at the Wakeland Convention Center, which was attended by about 150 people. And uh, we had a president attended, uh, which we're very grateful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, and then we went over and uh, walked over to the memorial and uh, unveiled those seven names. And through the efforts of the, of the university, every one of those seven names had family representatives present. Mm. And uh, they, they were kind enough to bring, put them on a bus. They had some kind of a gathering, their social gathering, before they came over. They came over on the bus to the convention center. And uh, we uh, went through that, that procedure. Mm. As we talk about the design, uh, I'm wondering just your thoughts on how you want the community interacting with that, or I mean, what what do you hope the life of that is um, as someone who was in Vietnam and had friends and lost friends in Vietnam and was involved in the effort? Um, what what role do you hope that has in the ongoing life of the community? Well, it it is it is there, uh, and I'm I'm personally gratified by by the, the situation. It is there for people to use, not only to go to tour through it and stuff like that, but is there, that plaza is there for people to use. Um, and and what primarily is what's, what's being used is, is veterans 
events. Um, the, the China, you know, we have an annual Veterans Day parade. We didn't have one last November because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we expect to have one this, this November. And normally there are about 11, 12, 13 high school bands that march in that. One of them is a China Spring High School band, about 150 strong, if I'm not, 130 to 150, if I'm not mistaken. And early on, or even before, uh, well, I don't know, maybe 1990, maybe, uh, or sometime, give or take a year, they were lining up on the side street, one of the numbered side streets, before the parade. They were playing the Ballad of Green Berets. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that being special forces. Mm-hmm. And um, what, th- what they've been doing was after the parade, they would put their instruments away and go down to the memorial. And their uh, band leader would talk to them and they would lay carnations throughout the entire memorial. Oh, wow. And, and I, have, I have a picture from Waco Tribune Herald back, back then of two of those. And this is when we, the, the names of the first 60 were, were still in a granite piece that was in the, in the, the plaza before it had been moved to the third pavilion. And there were two, two girl band students there were standing there arm in arm, three periods just streaming down their face. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's, that's been going on every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's gratifying that, that, that they can go down there. Um, and our Special Forces Association here has now got, for the past several years, have been awarding uh, awards to the, the an outstanding uh, male band student, a senior, and female band student, senior, and awards to the, to the drum majors mm. and stuff like that. So that's one thing. Um, the, uh, the, 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 when, when the seven names were unveiled, the Baylor people were unveiled, uh, that was March the 29th of 1998. No. That, um, uh, it, was, it was not that long ago. I mean, no, it was no, three, yeah. three, three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was, that March the 29th is now National Vietnam War uh, Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. So that was done on that particular okay. day. So uh, this year, uh, there was a gathering down there. Just, just to mark that time on March 29th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, the uh, the McLean County Veterans Association and the VA have been putting on an annual Memorial Day ceremony at the Avenue of Flags at the VA Hospital here. Mm-hmm. Go. Uh, that was not done uh, this this past uh, Memorial Day because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Veterans Association put together. They had been for several years. The Friday before Memorial Day having what they call a sunset memorial observance at the, at the memorial. And they have people read the names that we have there uh, every year, and then people are invited to come forward and call the names of any veterans that passed away over the, over the past year. Mm. And so that's, that's another thing that's mm. been done. Wow. Uh, and then uh, on Veterans Day of last year, because there's no Veterans Day parade, there was a gathering down there, just kind of an informal gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have been given to understand that that some ladies, I think they were the Democratic ladies of Waco, had a memorial service or some type of memorial observance for those that had died of COVID uh, at the plaza. Mm. So it's got to be gratifying for you 
to to see the community interacting with it that yeah, way, exactly. particularly in remembrance yeah. of veterans. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm something else, and this is probably not closely related to your question, but when we set up the to have the uh, the big dedication ceremony uh, in, in May of 2004, uh, we were looking for people to participate. The police chief of Del Mead, Bob Harold, was a Vietnam veteran. We decided to ask him to do the Pledge of Allegiance, lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. And uh, he agreed to do that, and he showed up. And when he stood up to give the Pledge of Allegiance, his opening remarks were like, thank God somebody has finally done something here in Waco to recognize us as Vietnam veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Do you think it's especially important for Vietnam veterans to have this? I mean, we... we you know, in your in your oral history that you did with us, you talked about the World War II memorial and and other memorials that have been done. But do you feel like it's especially important for vets from Vietnam? Yes, I, I think it's important for for vets of all war. You know, that it's my opinion, and I think I'm correct in this, that the first memorial in Washington D.C. war memorial, if you will, was the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And look at what's happened since then. Mm-hmm. The Korean War, veteran, World War II, which is long overdue. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they're talking about, uh, I mean, World War, I think they're talking about World War I and something mm-hmm. like that. And of course, here in Waco, we've got, uh, got several, several memorials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's good. And uh, that's where, once we go you know, years down the road, who knows? But hopefully people will, will continue to stop by there and mm-hmm. and uh, have a look and so forth. Well, I think it's great to have it on our landscape, and when it's part of the landscape, it's there. Yeah. So it, it's there for people to interact with and remember. So I, I thought that uh, going back to how we how we got that location, mm-hmm. if we were starting out that that wasn't there, we were starting out today. I wouldn't be surprised if we were denied that location. Depend. With everything else that's going on in Waco, you know, and how downtown's building up and Magnolia and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and the new Baylor Stadium and 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 everything else that's, that's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's mind. you but got I a place think, of prominence because it would have been harder to get now. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, uh, Major Householder, I want to thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to visit with you again today, uh, contributing your oral history and for your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this uh, memorial that you did. It's great service to the community. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for your time. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.